John uh, chapter 5, and we are chugging through this. We're looking at the whole gospel, um, trying to get through in an orderly manner, not take years and years, but then trying not to really like just burn through it either, right? So there are some dynamics. We are in verse 1 through 14. Um, it's when they're at the pool of Bethesda, um, and Jesus performs this miracle. And so there's a lot of different dynamics th of this passage that we could be looking at, right? S but we can kind of only, in our time, hone down to one. So I, I'm looking at a dynamic uh, of this um, of this shifting our dependency, um, but I, I want to encourage you this week to dive in and, and take a look at that well, because there's a lot of different nuances, a lot of different things um, that's going on in this passage, so I, I just want to kind of preface that by like, I, I, some of these passages we may not necessarily do them justice because we're only able to really focus in on, you know, a couple of different dynamics, so. Um, I'm going to start by giving a little bit of, of maybe history, maybe a little bit of background, and just because I felt like where God led me and put me and moved me resonated with this message because I saw this um, play out. I've always done odd things, not, not like personality, I do that as well, but like I've always been kind of an untraditional, like I was, I, I was one of the, and this may maybe come to a, uh, as a surprise or not, but I was one of the first paramedic science um, classes back in early, uh, early 90s to come through Ivy Tech. So like I could have and, and got a different job right before, but I could have sat for my national registry. I was done, I was ready to roll. We were, we were working um, and doing emergency medicine. Um, that proved great going into youth ministry uh, <laughs> because <laughs> odd things come up in youth ministry. but. I just, I, I remember going through that, and I think back to the, the coursework, and once we were done with, like, the classes, and it seemed at the time, I remember thinking very strangely, like, we got to the point where we're, doing, you know, learning about IVs and stuff like that, and, and they didn't, like, give us an orange or a peach or whatever. They're like, get a partner. And here's some IVs, and here's, like, we're, we're going to partner up, and you're going to, like, go through this process. Um, but once we finished the, the classwork side of things, then we went into um, the clinical side, much like in, uh, not to the extent as nurses and, and uh, PAs and that type of thing. But we learned the basics because we were there on site first 
to, you know, to, to stabilize and then get them on. And so we would, uh, we would do rotations. We did rotations through the emergency rooms down in Evansville. At that time, there were three main ERs. There was Deaconess Downtown. This was way before Gateway. Deaconess Downtown. There was St. Mary's over on east side. And then Welburn was down on Cherry Street, down kind of southeast side. Um, and it was interesting because each ER had like, a unique vibe about it, or, or and it took on kind of what they would see in their areas. Not to say that tragedy doesn't strike, no strike, no matter who you are, where you live, what side of town, anything. But um, down at Welburn, it, it, it was kind of more of drug-related stuff, either seeking or, or overdose or different things, and, uh, and trauma, and Deaconess was known for their uh, trauma department. Um, but it was interesting because each one took on, because of where they were located, a little bit different, you know. You didn't see some of the things at St. Mary's, some, uh, this is generalizing, some of the things you didn't see at St. Mary's you saw down at Welburn and vice versa at Deaconess. Um, but even more so was when we did rotations, like on, with, it was Mercy uh, Ambulance at the time. Um, and so when we worked our ambulance rotations, depending upon what shift you were and where, what, what s section or sector or whatever they called it, um, you know, you may be working northern Vandenberg County um, out in uh, McCutcheonville or some of the, you know, bigger subdivisions or more rural areas. And, um, and you saw people like where they were you saw people in their home like in their natural habitat right in their in their homes um and one of those sections that was usually a pretty busy area was kind of southeast side of evansville um and i vividly remember um going into homes on on a medical call and and it be hundred and some odd degrees outside somehow it's hotter in the home than it was outside and there may be some fans blowing and that type of thing but it was just like it it broke my heart at times to walk in and see where people um had come to a point, and there's a story between, uh, you, know, you know, behind behind every person is a is a story. But there were homes that we were fighting through, hoarding and and packing and trash and animal stuff, like to find the person <laughs> that is having this this issue. Um, but like you could see a difference of situations of where people were at. Um, and that really impacted me. Um, and literally some things that I can close my eyes and still smell. <laughs> like if, not that that's a good thing, but like just uh, situations. And 
shortly after I graduated, was like going through graduation stuff, I had the opportunity to work for the county, um, Vandenberg County, a complete shift, although it was kind of in my wheelhouse, because originally I wanted to be an architect, um, and then realized you need to do really good in school uh, prior to applying to architecture school. Um, and I also found out there were tons of other people that figured that out, and I didn't, so... Uh, yeah, anyway, but I have that, my, I, I love designing, I love doing things like that type of thing, and so uh, I worked for the plan commission, which is kind of with the building trades, and they did all kinds of stuff. Um, I was a public servant, basically, uh, for the county, and shortly after that, I started my own construction company and contracting, remodeling, and stuff, and did that for many years. Um, and ultimately felt this call into ministry. And so closed all of that down. Um, and aside from being like a youth group volunteer at our local church, this was like the first ministry I ever really like served in. Um, but it was a place called Potter's Wheel. And it was right down where I had been in the ambulance um, on southeast side of, of Evansville. Uh, it's really odd to think because actually some of our, and I wouldn't have, you know, didn't know it at the time, some of our leadership and stuff along with Maury, uh, once I had moved up here, here had shared with Maury about the ministry that was going on down there, and he took a group, and some of these guys, uh, Shorty and Bobby and Tom and some of those guys went, and visited and toured Potter's Wheel. So it's kind of cool there's that connection. And that was after I had, had left. But they had a clothing bank. They had food pantries, soup kitchens, classes, different things. Adults church. We had a kids church. I, I was explaining to Brooke the, uh, this past week. Uh, imagine VBS every single Sunday, 52 Sundays a year. Like, that's inner-city kids' ministry. Like, it was like, go out, call to the neighborhood, you're handing out popsicles, for, you know, whatever, I'm just con connecting, and you have 40, 50 kids, and you're like, okay, now what do I do? Um, but it was like this front-lines church, for sure. And I made some lasting and, and meaningful relationships during that time, like lasting, like some I still have relationship with. Today I met them when they were 10 um, on the streets and, and have worked with them for 20 plus years. Um, but one that really sticks in my mind is this guy. Um, you know, this was 20 years ago. At that time, he was probably in his latter 60s, um, but probably looked like his 90s just because of the life. Um, but it was this thinner black guy, uh, dreadlocked, uh, dreadlocked hair. Um, his name was Percy. And he used to come to the soup kitchen. He carried this huge stick. Um, 
and it wasn't necessarily because he had needed it for walking. Uh, you know, he would always say, talk, li uh, talk softly and carry a big stick kind of thing. Um, but he would talk loudly and carry a big stick. Uh, and I kind of befriended, there was some type of draw. I've kind of def uh, befriended, befriended uh, him. But I remember when I after meeting him and kind of gaining that trust, I guess, went back one evening, and this was wintertime, um, followed him back to where he was staying. And this wasn't his house. Um, this was a shotgun, a uh, couple rooms, and out the back, deserted um, home. No electricity, no plumbing, no anything. And, and I went in with Percy, and, and it was kind of like a little encampment, like had the sleeping bags lying, like nailed up over the windows and stuff, trying to insulate the walls, kerosene heater. Um, and, you know, we kind of hear of, oh, I think he's addicted to crack, or he's done the, or like a crackhead that... Now we've got, you know, meth. And, but he was truly like he was addicted to crack cocaine. And going in there, I remember, like, seeing all these little, like, pieces of, um, uh, like, kind of scouring pad or, or, or these uh, steel wool that he would use to, 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 to smoke this. And, and it was just like he, it, I remember sitting down with him. And there was a five-gallon bucket for a bathroom further down in the other room. Um, and we just sat. I, I didn't know what to say. I, I, I didn't even know, like, I wanted to help change his situation. But I didn't have the, like, we talked. It wasn't uncomfortable and weird. Like, but, I mean, we talked, but there were periods where we just sat. And I remember feeling, and he told me at a later date, it, somehow it was just better because he wasn't alone. Like me, just not knowing the words, not knowing what to do, not knowing what to say, but I was present, and I was there, somehow made that better. Um, and so looking back on these different experiences, whether it was on the ambulance, in people's homes, working at Potter's Wheel with these kids um, and uh, adults, it's like I keep continued seeing this one undeniable truth and it was like no matter where you're at race economy economic condition culture whatever if there's no hope it brings misery like if there's no hope it brings misery and so this is where Jesus is walking into. He's walking into this kind of landscape. Like he's walking in to this kind of scene of 
no hope. And so I thought to kind of mix it up a little bit, instead of me reading this, um, we're going to take a, take a look um, at this playing out. So if we could, could play that.
Every time I watch that, like, it somehow gets funnier every time, not the significance of it, but he's like, put it in your report. Like, I'm walking out of here. Whatever you got to do, like, he told me to pick this up. I'm gone. He's like, yeah, you you are having a bad day. <laughs> I like, there's so many little, uh, but the depth of that, like he's asking, he's like, hey, I'm not, look, I'm not asking about who's getting in your way. What's, you know, like all the, I'm asking, do you want to be healed? And so the pools of Bethesda were there originally. They were the source of water. They were by the sheep gate, and this is where they would bring in um, the sacrifices to be washed. Um, before going in, and they they were fed by these underground springs. And so uh, whenever the water level would drop to a point and, like, these springs would build up force and they would kind of gurgle and mix and stir, the only thing I could think of, like, that I, like, be like an old old faithful, you know, when it, black, I mean, much smaller scale, obviously, but that same process, and so there was this, like, uh, this uh, legend, really, that when that happened, if you could get down there, if you could be quick enough, or you could be the first, or you would touch it, that, that, that somehow you would, uh, that you would be healed, um, and so because of this, these pools had become this area where sick would sit and they'd ask for money as people pass through. And there may typically be a few dozen. And when these big uh, festivals and, and, and meals would be going on, there may be a few hundred people gathered around in these play, uh, people that have brought family or friends or individuals to, uh, to drop off. Uh, to drop off of there, um, and you can only imagine that these, the, you know, these people had to have been like perpetually disappointed um, that they would never receive this this miracle and um, this mindset of hopelessness. But then the answer comes. This person without hope, without the ability to change anything, uh, was about to meet the one who is the embodiment of hope. Uh, The one who can change even the most hopeless situation into this miraculous victory uh, that ultimately brings praise to God our Father, right? This, this, uh, This... This impotent man was about to meet this omnipotent Jesus. And Jesus asks him, he asks him, he asks him, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be healed? I want to talk about, for a moment, um, this hopelessness, this this dependency or independency um, 
even further back, I went to, uh, if you're familiar with Evansville on Washington Avenue, Washington Elementary School. It's the one that looks very presidential fitting that it's called Washington uh, Elementary School. Um, but went there basically first grade through eighth and then went down um, uh, and did a stint at Bossy High School. But I remember in grade school, um, you had a lunch ticket. Uh, and you would get them, I can't remember if it was for the month or for the week, but I just, I remember these like salmon colored tickets. And you would, you know, your mom would send in money and you would get your lunch ticket for the week. And when you went through line, then they would hole punch your, your car and the card and you would, you know, go through the line. Um, and even at that time, they had like government assistance, like they had assistance for uh, for families and for kids, but I'm sure it made sense, like, clerically or, like, whatever, but, like, those cards were green. And so it was, like, as if elementary kids needed ammunition to pick on, on other kids, um, you were like walking through the cafeteria with an X on your back if you're handing a green card versus an orange card and, and something as simple as picking up your, your lunch, right? Um, and I just remember friends throughout the years... Um, and feeling like the deck was stacked against them from, like, day one. Um, you know, feeling like there was this hole that you're having to, to crawl out of, even at, at that age. And I, we lived in a very typical, average, little city neighborhood over off of Ravenswood and Covert area. Um, and we got a cross-section of everything. I remember waking up several different times uh, throughout the time that we lived there, um, waking up and there'd be like police lights in my bedroom window. And they weren't at our house, but they were, real, uh, they were at my buddy's house down the street, um, raiding their house trying to find his dad um, who would like, hide up in the attic or down in the crawl space if he knew that they were supposed to be coming out, you know, looking for him or whatever. And I remember walking down the street with that friend, like, just talking about, like, oh, did, did they get him? No. I'm like, this was just, like, life. And you just hear voices. You hear Things like, oh, that kid's a loser. Oh, that, uh, their family does don't come from much. They, oh, that, that dude, <laughs> that kid's dumber than a box of rocks. They're not gonna don't hang out with those. You know those kids. I was trying not to say stupid because in our house, stupid's a bad word. So I figured dumber than a box of rocks. But I heard these voices, and I, 
I bring that up because it's what I've seen in life. And, and people many times fall in two different categories. They're, they're completely dependent on something other than Christ, or they have too much pride to excel, accept the help of someone else. So they're, they're, they're completely dependent on something, or they're going to do it solely themselves. And I watch people who are otherwise smart, capable, you know, able to, to succeed in life, choose to live in this state of dependency. If you question it, they, much like this guy, you know, they may point to their health or their situation, their past, say it's, it's, it's not their fault. But because of the issue, they can't climb out of their situation and really embrace life. If Jesus were to ask them, do you want to be healed, they'd give this list of reasons why that, that can't happen. And, and I think, not all, the, not all the time, but I think there's some cases that you know, people have become so dependent and so comfortable in their situation that they honestly can't see living any other way. On the flip side of that, you have the people that, that, you know, they come from nothing. They've pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps. They've, They've overcome the odds, made something of themselves. They... If you tell them they need Jesus, they ask, what, uh, what do I have to do to be saved? The idea of simply trusting in the finished work of Jesus is offensive to them. Like, they're, like who is that to help me? I, I, look, I've done all of this. They don't want to be in anybody else's debt, right? They never really see the helplessness of their situation. So both the dependent and the independent are in this same condition. They're lost. They're, they're lost in this poverty of spirit that comes from having their eyes on the wrong thing. Jesus loves the broken. The Bible tells us that Jesus seeks and saves the lost, like, right? That, that, that's his mission. He, he's the shepherd who leaves the multitude of sheep to find the one who ran away. Jesus is the one who breaks every religious rule to lift his lambs out of the pit. And he'll carry us on his shoulders when, when life has wounded us so bad we can't even walk anymore. And he does this because... He loves us. He meets us where we are. Jesus didn't expect that man to crawl his way through Jerusalem to find him. Like, he came and met that guy right where he was at. He didn't set up a healing booth in the middle of town and, like, wait for people to come to him, right? Right? 
think about that for a moment. Like, what is the atmosphere Jesus was walking into? Sick people, very sick people, hundreds of sick people, <laughs> diseases, leprosy, all these different things. And he's willing to walk right into all that sickness, the stench, the grossness. And he did that for them. He does it for us because that's what our sin is. We may not physically live in a complete wreck, but we may, because of the sin in our life or because of where we've placed our allegiances or our dependencies, spiritual sickness, spiritual stench, spiritual grossness that wants to rob us of this joy. In other words, he touched the untouchable, right? That's our Savior. He who was without sin became sin for us. That's one of the beautiful things about this account. Um, the story of the paralytic may, may raise a question in your minds. Why does God allow us to go through sickness or poverty or dependence, disease, and all this different stuff? In John 9, um, the disciples are in the middle of this theological argument regarding this man that was born blind. Uh, the argument centered around question, did the man's blindness come from his own sin or from his own sin or sin of his parents? Like there has to be a reason why he is this way. And now you remember the disciples came, many, some, many of them came from this religious system that believed really more in karma than, than in grace, really. Um, that God, like, immediately judged sin with physical illness or tragedy or death upon being disobedient. And that's, that's why the, pe the people that Jesus is surrounding himself with are arguing this high theology and not really bothered, bothering to offer this person any hope. And that can sound like some of our churches, unfortunately, so, so caught up in arguing interpretation or arguing different dynamics that, that there, nobody's rolling their sleeves up to do the work of the kingdom. And so Jesus interrupts the argument and he's refocusing the disciples on the central point of God's love and his sovereignty. And this man wasn't born blind for any other reason other than to show God's glory. Okay, what, is, what does that mean? Our God is so awesome, so loving, so in control, that even within our bad and horrible rebelliousness, within, we have this exercising of our free will, uh, and we also live in the free will choices of others that directly affect us. God is always, always, always working and loving. Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his, person, uh, his purpose. Well, what about this current rebellion, all things, right? What about this really boneheaded thing I did last week? All things. What about that person who tried to destroy my life? He's, he's working in all things. In all thing, God work, things, God works for the good. Now, 
I'm not saying God sees sins like, uh, I'll work through it. No, I, God hates sin. Our Father hates sin. And left unchecked it, unchecked, it can cause us to be ultimately separated from Him. But our God is so great that He can use something He absolutely hates to humble us and inform us into the image of Christ. And that is exactly why Jesus' question, do you want to be healed, is so challenging to us. It's all about switching dependency. Our spiritual healing is dependent on taking this leap of faith that's completely and utterly dependent on God. book of revelations it says in the final days that god will call the church to make herself ready it uses this image imagery of a bride spending hours making herself ready for that one moment when she's presented to her future uh husband as this radiant bride and my friends god is calling the church into preparation he is calling us he wants to present to jesus a radiant bride Many of us are asking, why the hard times? Why the constant struggle? How, how come it seems like the world's running headlong into destruction? It is. I look at it like this, right? If you, if you really want to appreciate light, you allow everything else to grow dark. If I was to light a birthday candle or a lighter or something right here, it would really make no impact to us sitting here right now. But if we could block out every bit of light in here, and I had that exact same candle in here, it would illuminate this entire gym. As it darkens around us, that is when God's children will shine the brightest. And finally, when we get to go to that place, God wants us. We're healed, made well in Jesus' name, and completely dependent on him. Jesus speaks to it. He, he speaks to that. In 14, it says, Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. Now, we have to understand that. We kind of interpret that in our 21st century mind in the original language and all this stuff. You might read that as like this warning, this formal warning against this paralyzed man, like stop sinning or you're going to get struck down again. But it's more Jesus is saying in the word sin here is literally like to miss the mark right and so it's like this archer that's shooting an arrow at the bullseye and you it misses the mark and so jesus is saying keep watch keep watch over yourself don't let yourself get roped back into a dependency into the things of this world or even too much self sufficiency so maybe that is you today we're stuck 
somewhere down this rabbit hole of, uh, of sin and don't know how to get out, Jesus is here for you. Others, you, you might be tempted to return to a life of dependency towards things God has said that aren't good for you. If that's you, repent. Turn to Him. Maybe you'll, you'll hear... Uh, Maybe you're here and you've never taken the step to surrender your life to Jesus. Today is that great day. Now is the acceptable time, right? Today is the day of salvation. So Jesus loves the broken, but he doesn't want to leave you broken. Jesus loves the broken, but he does not want to leave you broken. He wants you to be healed. Do you want to be healed? Will we begin to shift dependencies to Him? I love how they talked about this in the, in the clip. And they really brought it out when he said he made that statement. Look, I'm not asking you about like what came your way or who did this or whatever, because Scripture says that around that entire place they were blind, they were lame, they were paralyzed. I've been spiritually blind. I may not have been physically blind, but I've been spiritually blind. I may not be lame to the point where I can't walk, but I've been spiritually lame. I may not be paralyzed to the point for 38 years where people had to cart me around, but I guarantee I've been spiritually paralyzed. So each and every one of us are gathered around that pool, and we don't need to be gathered around the pool. That pool was a... A gimmick. It was a. It, it was a false hope. Jesus is who heals. We'll just leave it at that. Jesus is the one who heals. He can heal and has healed many of us. He can heal us spiritually. All of us. We just have to begin to look at that dependency shift. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh, man. I, Jesus, we love you. We love you. So easy to begin to, do, to, to become comfortable, maybe comfortable in our filth, maybe comfortable as we sit. <laughs> in this filth, in this sickness, in tragedy, in bitterness, in anger, in rage, in alcohol, whatever. Or even find ourselves sitting to where we have no problems, and it's because I've been able to do it all. And if that's the case, I'm just as broken So, God, I just I, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your scripture that continues to just peel.
peel open our eyes, to knock the scales from us. We're spiritually blinded, and God, your word knocks the scales from our eyes so that we can see you. God, give us more of you. Allow us to be your light as it continues to darken. God, we love you. We pray this for this church. We pray this for churches throughout our community. Amen. Each week we have opportunity to come together, to take communion together, to be able to remember that ultimate sacrifice, right? As they rolled lambs through the sheep gate to be washed and sacrificed. Jesus was standing there by the sheep gate and he's that ultimate sacrifice. He is that ultimate lamb that was slain. And so we have time to be able to remember that. We have time to, to reflect on that. So I just encourage you, there's four different stations uh, around the room, whether you take it there or back to your seat, or gather up with someone, I just encourage you to reflect on that this morning. Come, take communion with us.